Good morning. We are thrilled that you have decided again to spend some time with us as we discuss this interesting quarterly that has to do with trials and tribulations. Today we're going to talk about a birdcage. And I have somebody very special that is going to join me in our conversation as our regular co-host is on vacation. But before we do that, before we introduce our special guest and maybe even read some comments that you have left for us over the past weeks, let us pray. God, we want to thank you so much because in the midst of issues and the troubles that we face, we feel your presence. And whether it's in the desert or whether it's in green pastures or whether it's in crucibles, we remember that trials and tribulations are opportunities, opportunities to connect in more meaningful ways with you. So we ask that you accompany our conversation for we pray in your name, amen. So we always invite you to share, uh, whether it's questions, comments, you all know, uh, my email, which is mmendez at luc.org, my co-host, j-o-h at luc.org. You can send us your comments, your questions. You can also email uh, the church or like us on uh, whatever media you're watching this through. Now, I have a really interesting comment that I want to share with you, and I hope that this week we get maybe some answers to this question. Gary Boismeyer, a longtime viewer, wrote to us saying this. Listening to your Sabbath school this morning, I was reminded of a bit of Bible trivia, which any true Bible historian should know. I hope it brightens your day. And so here's the question that Gary sent uh, me, and I will... Uh, actually elicit your help in responding it because to be honest i have no idea what the answer is the question is what was the month and day of job's birth what was the month and day of joe's job's birth gary we're gonna get an answer but we're going to crowdsource this and get all of our community all our viewers online involved and so please send us your answers if you think you know the response to gary's quandary now, I promise that we had someone very special. Uh, to be honest, she's much better looking than Pastor Joey is. And so we're very happy to have her uh, join us. She is the pastor for outreach at Loma Linda University Church. She is the mother to two children who are, well, they're, let's face it, handfuls. And she is married to the most wonderful, caring, loving man in the history of the world, Pastor Linda. <laughs> welcome, welcome. We're so happy to have you on. It was about time we had you on. Yes, I'm delighted that I've been welcomed and that I get to spend some office time with you. Yeah, we don't we don't do this. This is kind of the convert type of conversation that we have around the dinner table, and now it's going to be really interesting that we invite our friends into our dinner table, if you will. That is essentially what is happening. We now get a seat at what happens at home. So I'm delighted. Yeah, except no, no boys. No boys interrupting or asking what you know other questions that don't pertain to what we're trying to talk about. So yes. It'll be a, a, a nice time together. Nice change of pace. So before we delve into our conversation for today, which, as you know, has to do with this idea of the birdcage, this whole uh, trimester we're talking about issues of conflict, maybe some trials and tribulations that our friends out there are experiencing, and how the way we look at these experiences really shapes our understanding of not only who God is, but who, who we are. But before we do that, uh, I really wanted to have you on, not just because you're brilliant and beautiful, but also <laughs> because your ministry, your department here in the church deals on a day-to-day -day basis with people who are in very real ways experiencing trials, tribulations, and crucibles. Yeah. So that's kind of what, when you asked, you invited me, I started looking at um, what we were going to be studying today. And 
I started realizing, wow, a lot of what the people of Israel are going through is a lot what I see on a daily basis with my work. We see people who are kind of at the end of the rope. They've been, you know, up against the wall. And the question that usually arises is, why, Lord? What now? Mm. Um, and so we're put in a very blessed position where we can come and show th Christ through what we do. Um, so this was a very uh, special reading for me because I got to really look at what we do and get an insight of how we can better help the people that we mm. see at UReach. Mm. So in, in the passages that we're looking for, at this week, uh, the main issue is, uh, or at least the biggest piece of scripture, is dealing with the people as they are slaves in Egypt and how God delivers them from this situation. Um, I am assuming, and this is just an assumption, I wasn't there, but I'm assuming that when Moses gets the invitation from God to go and deliver Israel, he feels reticent because the task seems so large. Uh, it, it actually, the text will tell us that Moses is so weary about this that he says, I can't do it alone. And so God says, don't worry, Aaron's going to go with you, et cetera, et cetera. How do you, in your work, where we are just a stone throws away from one of the most economically depressed cities, mm -hmm in all of California, a city with issues of rampant homelessness, addiction problems, mental health problems, uh, where life expectancy is lower than the medium for the state, where chi uh, child uh, death uh, during birth is lower than, uh, is higher, pardon, than the median in the state, where a pregnancy in teen mothers is higher than it is for the median in the state. It, it's a lot. Yeah. And so I'm assuming that when you got the invitation, again, I wasn't in the room for obvious <laughs> reasons, but when you got the invitation to come and serve this really economically depressed uh, place, how, how do you or garner enough courage to say, okay, I'm going to jump into the fray when the task sometimes feels so large? Well, I mean, if you know me, um, but those that don't know me as well, I like a challenge. Mm -hmm. um, so when the position was uh, brought to me, I understood in theory what I would be in tasked with, but it wasn't until I actually stepped into the position that it became a reality what I would be um, having to deal with on a daily basis. And no day is the same at UReach. We see things, all sorts of different things every day. And for me, one of the things that I've learned is that I take my job one day at a time and every day I tell myself, okay, God, whatever comes through the door today, help me to have an open mind and an open heart mm. so that we can provide what you need for mm. these people. But it is a bit daunting when you just think about the big picture of UReach, but it definitely humbles you to say, I have to take this one day at a time one situation at a time mm. um and reading this is exactly what's happening right it's one task after the other one trial after the other and they're just literally having to take it one mm -hmm. trial at a time mm -hmm. and that's how i see what i do at you reach i just have to take it one trial at a mm. time yeah um my angelou and it's it's impossible not to think about my angelou when i looked at the title for this week's lesson, The Birdcage. Uh, she has a great little poem that says, I know why the bird, uh, the cage bird sings. And what I love about that is that Angelou is trying to write a poem that attempts to find some hope in this cage bird's experience. And I think that's what you're alluding to. Uh, maybe our friends out there, maybe you that are watching 
aren't part of a ministry like you reach but you're in your own context and the problem or the peril that you're facing whether it's professional or personal or with your family or maybe the community that surrounds you there's so much to do and sometimes it does feel a bit daunting and i think linda what you're reminding us is that maybe god isn't inviting us to have all the answers maybe god is just inviting us to take the next correct step. And I think that's very possible to do, uh, regardless of what situation we're facing. So I want to, I want to take you to, uh, Exodus 14. And now Exodus 14, we know what has happened, uh, in our story. Moses has gone into Egypt. He has talked to Pharaoh. There have been plagues. God has kind of made this covenant or renewed the covenant with Israel. And now they're getting ready to go. Finally, it seems like their time of trouble, their time of tribulation is over. And then we get to verse 5 in uh, Exodus 14, and it says, When the king of Egypt was told that his people had fled, that the people had fled, speaking about the Israelites, Pharaoh and his officers changed their minds about them and said, What have we done? We have let the Israelites go and have lost their services. So he had his chariot made ready and took his army with you, with him. He took 600 of the best chariots along with all the other chariots of Egypt with officers over them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh of Egypt so that he pursued the Israelites who were marching out boldly. When I was reading this, just in... In context, in the context of some of the perils that we face and some of the quote unquote bird cages that we face, I was thinking a lot of situations where you elicit uh, and invest in relationships or maybe you are asking for people to ally themselves with you. And finally, it seems like you're going to get that support, that that coworker that you've been trying to have change his worldview or her worldview finally comes on board or maybe that your supervisor finally gets the picture maybe it's that your spouse finally understands how amazing you are or that your children have decided to finally make peace with you and it seems like that the bird cage like the bird cage is going to be burst open and then disappointment uh pharaoh changes his mind how do we deal with the disappointment of people who we feel we are called to ally with and when these people instead of helping us through the peril actually contribute to make the experience more difficult that's um interesting that you say because that's something that we also deal with at your reach right um a lot of the people that we help, it's a one-sided type of relationship. Mm. We're providing aid, we're providing relief, we're providing help. Um, and often what I, what I tell the people that are going to work at UReach is, if you're working here to try to get some sort of uh, feeling that you're doing good, it's not going to come. Working at UReach, it, it is a one-sided relationship where you just have to do what you're doing because you believe that is what God's called you to do. You do it, people receive what they need, and that's that. And I often feel that that's unfortunately how we treat our relationship with God. It's mm. very one-sided. And you see this in this um, passage. The people of Israel are being rescued by God time and time again, but it's very one-sided where every time they get up in a jam, it's, well, where are you? Why haven't you delivered mm. us? Why haven't you provided for us? And the whole time God is saying, but I just took you out of Egypt. I just gave you this. I've just provided you with this. It's a very one-sided relationship. And so I can't imagine what God must have been feeling or the frustration he must have been feeling as the people of Israel constantly put him in this place of I'm showing you that I love you. Why can't you see that? Mm. Um, but yeah. So maybe one of the ways then in which we can deal 
with kind of these disappointments that we're facing when finally it seems like we're ready to change a new leaf or maybe it's time to turn the page over maybe one of the things that we need to do is we need to stop and remember yeah. throughout the bible there's a lot of instances right where people the people of god are being called to remember remember what i have done actually we're we're gonna talk about this in a few moments in exodus 15 they sing a song of remembrance because when you get in a jam it's really easy to forget and to become so predicament focused that you've shut your ability to hear or remember anything else I know that it works to handle spiritual disappointment, but it also works relationally. So candidly speaking, I need to confess, I might not be the easiest person to live with. I know it's shocking, shocking. But the truth of the matter is, I know I'm well aware that sometimes some of my habits and some of my quirks and, and particularly my penchant to be kind of, it has to be my way or the highway and this desire to be in control, I know that that's, that that's a challenge. But what, what strikes me about you is that when we get into one of these places where I'm being, let's face it, insufferable, <laughs> you always tell me, I don't like you very much at this moment, but I remember that we get each other like very like nobody else gets each other and so that capacity that you have to recall those moments where hey we connect on a way that we don't connect with anyone else that kind of pulls you through the emotional disappointment that i may be creating uh at the at a particular moment and that comes from like you said knowing each other so we have this whole history with mm. each other which has allowed us to get to know each other one of the advices that I give um, young adults that are, you know, getting ready to enter relationships or have questions about the person that they're dating is make sure that you like this person and that you're friends with this mm -hmm. person. Because on the days where as a spouse they have frustrated you, you want to still be able to say, I know the good in this person because they're my friend. And I'm able to put this one thing aside that I don't like about them right now and see who they are in a bigger mm. picture, in a better light. And I think that has to be present in every relationship. You have to take the time to get to know who it is you're living life with so that in those moments of frustration, you're able to say, okay, I know this right now isn't what I like, but I know that the overall of who this person is isn't summarized into this mm -hmm. one particular thing that they're doing and you you see moses trying to do that with the people of israel when he says don't be afraid just stand still and watch the lord rescue you today he's trying to tell them listen this is the god that you know that's taken you out of egypt don't don't worry he's done great things for us his nature is not to bring us here uh to the edge of the red sea and let us die that's not who God is. And he's trying to remind them, this is who you've chosen to serve. Mm. Don't forget who he is and what he's done for you. Um, but like you said, often when we're in the darkness, it's hard to see anything else. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think that's easy for us to say intellectually, but practically, I have moments of doubt all the time, and I think you have moment, your moments of doubt. And what, what I love about the God that we serve is that God doesn't hold those moments of doubt against us. Mm -hmm. The reality is you've tuned in this morning because at some point you felt the presence of God. And so I think, Linda, what you're saying is it's okay to be frustrated. It's okay to be in a, in a season of doubt even but just remember that at some point somehow somewhere you did feel the presence of God and that's why you've tuned in today and maybe this can be the first step 
in recovering that close felt connection and that peace and that joy that comes with experiencing God intimately. And that's something that struck me because often we read this and obviously from our perspective, we think, how did the Israelites not get it? How Mm. did they not see God's hand? You know, they're, they're seeing the plagues being sent to Egypt. They're seeing God deliver them and taking them out of Egypt. How do they not get it? They were just not bright people. But when I really started to think about it, I thought it speaks to the type of relationship that they had with God, that they actually were able to tell God, we're frustrated. Mm -hmm. We know who you are, but we're frustrated with what's happening to us. And we often don't do that. We, we often feel that if the bad comes, it has to be from somewhere else, not from God. Mm-hmm. And when the good comes, then that's God. And when we're in the midst of the, God, of the bad stuff, yes, we come to God, but we're afraid to say, why? Mm-hmm. Why God? We're afraid to ask that question. But as you look at the Israelites, they're not afraid. They're not mm-hmm. afraid to push God and to ask him, why are is this happening to us why are you allowing this to happen to us and i think it speaks to the nature of their relationship with god yeah yeah because healthy relationships need transparency you need to be able to say hey i'm frustrated i think for me one of the one of the things that i most admire of you is your capacity to say hey, I need to get this off my chest before it becomes a problem. And so a couple of weeks ago, you came, I was in the living room and you open the door and you say, hey, I've been dealing with this for a while and I need to say it uh, because if I don't say it, then it's, I feel it might become an issue. And at the moment, uh, I, I didn't want to hear it um, because nobody likes to hear somebody calling you out or saying, hey, I'm frustrated with you because of these particular reasons. Nobody likes hearing that. But after I thought about it a little bit, I really felt that was a gift because at least you are trusting me enough to take your vulnerability and your frustration and not to turn it and to weaponize it against you. And that's what I love about God, that God never says, hey, you were frustrated here. I'm going to remind you of that. And then I'm going to leverage that in order to punish you. God never does that. God actually is mature enough to just take the frustration and say, okay, but we need to keep moving. Um, so it, you were talking a little bit. And as you were talking, my mind just immediately went, goes to verse 10. In chapter 14, it says, as Pharaoh approaches, the Israelites looked up and there were the Egyptians marching after them. So there's this immediacy to the original language where, you know, the Israelites are looking, they're goal oriented. And I think we all Mm -hmm. have this happen to us. We all are, are walking through life at some point and we're so focused on the goal and we're so focused on getting to where we need to go. And I think that's when these issues or these problems or these trials that place us in a birdcage and paralyze us come out. And they're so painful because we didn't see them coming. And so the Israelites turn and there were the Egyptians. And the reaction that they have is that they're terrified. And there's nothing wrong with that. You know, there's nothing wrong, I think, with having this experience where you are solely focused on your marriage or on your children or on your job. And out of nowhere, you have a moment where this thing that you were working towards crumbles Mm -hmm. and you're terrified. I think what you're what you're inviting us is into a real relationship with God where it's okay to say I didn't see I didn't see this coming I didn't see myself losing my job I didn't see myself becoming alienated from my children I didn't see myself receiving a really devastating medical diagnosis or having my marriage fall apart I'm angry and I'm scared and that's okay yeah 
my Bible says they panicked. Ooh, I love that. Yeah, so it, it wasn't just they were caught off guard, but it was they panicked. And I can just imagine this multitude of people panicked, mm -hmm. right? Probably going to each other wondering, what are we going to do? Asking each other, oh my gosh, we're going to die here. Just total chaos. Mm -hmm. um, and they say, why did you bring us out here to die? And, and they're not just asking Moses, but they're also crying out to God saying, why? Why mm. would you do this to us? And, um, you know, and obviously they go to Moses. Moses goes to God and God says, why are you crying out to me? Tell the people to get moving. Mm. And I often, I think that's what's amazing about a relationship with God. He hears your cry. Mm -hmm. Right? He's acknowledging, he's saying, yeah, I know you're crying. I know you're panicked, but now is a moment for you to trust me, mm -hmm. trust and get moving. So I see you in your darkness. I see you in your moment of need in your moment of desperation, get moving, right? God doesn't want us to stay in, a, in the moments of desperation. He wants to bring us to the moments where we can mm. see his work. Mm. And that's what he's doing here with the Israelites. Ah, that's powerfully stated. As you were talking about this panicking, I thought immediately about a book I just finished. Uh, the title of it is Deep Survival. And it has to do basically with, and we talked a little bit about this, if you remember last week, it has to do with how we survive. And the first thing they tell you when you get lost in the wilderness is don't panic. Mm -hmm. Because the moment that you panic and that you start just running around and moving, you make mistakes. And I think that functions not only biologically when, you know, you're, you're having to counteract balance this flight or fight reflex that you have but it also works relationally because when we panic when we are panicked and when we move out of panic what we tend to do is that fear or that panic gets translated into rage mm. and the problem is because we have no control over the situation that is causing us the panic we transport we transfer that rage or that panic into the people that care about us and that are around us. So it's okay to be afraid, but don't panic. Yes. Because when you panic, typically what happens is you're going to transfer that panic into anger and resentment to those that are closest to you. And it seems like that is what's going on here. Was it because, they say, there were no graves in Egypt that you have brought us to the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians? It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians mm -hmm. than to die in the desert. It's this idea of, I'm panicked. And so I am going now to transfer that panic unto God and unto Moses because these are the people that care for me and that are closer for me. And Moses, notice, notice the difference. Moses says, do not be afraid, stand firm, and you will see the deliverance that the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today will never be seen again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. And so what Moses is asking them is, don't panic. Breathe. Get your bearings around you. Don't act rashly. Yeah. Be still. Yeah. And I think that's what you're talking about. When you say trusting God, what you're actually saying is sometimes to trust means to reject the temptation to be busy uh, because a lot of the time we feel that hey if we get into the situation that is perilous if we get into this bird cage the best thing we can do is we can work really hard to break out the problem is we don't always break out what ends up happening more often than not is we burn out and so it seems like it, moses is telling them don't panic be still Trusting is to have the capacity to sit still. It's almost like they're saying, 
we'd we would have rather stayed in our controlled mm -hmm. misery than for you to bring us to a place where we have to exercise mm. trust and calmness. Um, as you know, we've been having a bit of trouble with our youngest one when it comes to bedtime. Mm -hmm. um, he's hit, he's four years old and he's hit that stage where sleeping at night in his own room has become um, something he's not too thrilled about. And um, every night you try to put him to sleep, he will fight you and it's out, you know, an hour, 40 minutes of you trying to get him to settle. And we've developed a routine now that gets him uh, pretty calm very quickly. And it is essentially this, right? Stay calm, take deep breaths. Um, because when he goes to bed, he allows the thoughts of there's monsters in my room, it's dark, I'm afraid. All of that enters his mind and he is unable to see that mm. his room and his home is a safe place, mm -hmm. that sleeping in his own bed will uh, create better sleep for him, all of these things. And, and so we've developed the routine, right, of where we tell him, take deep breaths, breathe in, let's get ourselves calm. And when he's able to do that for himself, he's able to get to a place where he realizes, I do sleep better in my bed. I do like my room. I am safe. And God does protect me. But we have to get him to that place to realize first, calm. Mm. Don't let the panic enter. Calm. And this is something that Moses is constantly doing with the people of Israel. They panic. He has to calm them they panic he has to calm them and what's constant through it all is god's mercy mm. for them yeah yeah no well said see the issue with catastrophizing is catastrophizing typically alters the perception that we have about god i mean think about it god these israelites have gone from celebrating freedom to catastrophizing mm -hmm in a split second. And that has changed their worldview of who God is. Uh, before they, they were worshiping and they're saying, God, you are the redeemer. You are our savior. You're, you are the God that heard our cries in Egypt. And in a second, that has changed. Catastrophe has changed that perception, has altered that perception. And now it's, God, um, you are murdering us you've taken us out and tricked us into going into the desert so that the egyptians can kill us and what you said about our about our, our youngest really it just struck me that maybe that's why sometimes we can't perceive god um, and it doesn't matter and it doesn't mean that god isn't there it's just we can't perceive him so you and I have very different approaches when it comes to putting putting the kids to bed. And so just last week, um, I was tasked with, with putting them both to bed. And so I'll go up and we'll talk and we'll listen to a story and then they'll get, we'll all get into one bed and then they'll fight and argue and kick each other out of the bed and then They'll want to go into, into their own beds, and so then I have to follow the youngest into his room. And we put them down at 8.30. It was about 11 o'clock, and he was still awake. Yeah. And he was awake because I was there, and he was just waiting for the other shoe to drop. <laughs> and so I realized when I came down finally at like 11.15 and he was still awake and you went down and it took you five, 10 minutes to put him to sleep, I realized that a lot of the times my presence is serving as a crutch for his development. Mm -hmm. And so I think sometimes, and it's not that God isn't present, but my, I should, so then I should probably, and you are present because you have the little baby monitor. So it's not like you're not present. 
So let me rephrase what I was trying to say. My presence in the way that he wants it to be there is actually a crutch. And so sometimes I think, I think this is a great example. Sometimes God's presence in the way that we want it to be there is a crutch to our own faith development and spiritual growth. I agree. And you see that because even the Egyptians are able to see that God's on the side of the Israelites. But the Israelites are unable mm. to see it because they're in their moment of panic, of mm -hmm. chaos. Um, and sometimes we want to wallow in our sorrow. We just want to be able to stay there. And um, and we make God to be this, this person that he's not in our lives. He's, he's not wanting to cause us pain. He's not wanting us to feel deserted. He wants us to succeed. He wants good things for us, but he also wants us to learn that amidst our chaos, there can come peace. We just have to know where to look. Mm. And if we're not looking to Christ, then we won't ever be able to find the ways to um, self-soothe, I guess, ourselves mm. into saying, I know this is chaotic right now, and I know things are are not going the way that I envisioned them to go. But I know that beyond it, God is still there. And beyond it, his will will still be done. Um, and so sometimes when we're in our, in our chaos, we're incapable of seeing what God is doing for us. And, and we utilize him and, and place him in, in positions that... He's not wanting to be, um, but it doesn't mean he's not there. And it doesn't mean that what he has in store for us won't happen. Mm. Yeah. So when you get placed then in the birdcage, the first thing that I think we're sketching out is don't panic. The second thing is stay still. But then it gets really tempting just to stay there. Because sometimes even that becomes comfortable. You talked, you said a moment ago, controlled misery. A lot of us live lives of controlled misery because misery has become commonplace. We've become so accustomed to pain, so accustomed to this feeling of panic, so accustomed to the trial that we choose just to stay there. And I, I fully agree with you when you say pain demands to be felt. We need to experience, and we need to mourn, and we need to walk through that. But at some point, and it's, I, it's different for all of us, and so we don't want to be dogmatic as to when that point is, but we do know that at some point we need to move on. Um, so God tells Moses, why are you crying out to me? And I love that because it contrasts the experience that the Israelites and Moses are having. See, the Israelites have let panic alter their perception of God. Mm -hmm. Moses has, is also feeling panic, but in his experience, panic has caused them to stop and to look to God. And so he uses that, that's his approach. And God says, why are you crying out to me? Move on. Um, and so I think the first thing you do is don't panic, stay still, look to God. And when you look to God, a path kind of starts to form and then you move on. But how do you feel, right? It's not always easy in the midst of your pain to hear, move on. Mm -hmm. Right? Um, I'm a very... Um, I see things very differently, and maybe it's because of what I do. But I've come to realize that my way of thinking is not the way most people think. And in my mind, it's like that. It's, yeah, this is happening, but I can't stay here. Move on. Um, but I've realized I can't tell that to someone that comes to my office saying, this is what's happening to me. I, you know, because immediately what my brain wants to do is 
find a solution. Mm -hmm. How do I help you? How do I get you to a place where you're going to be well? Mm. And, and how do I, how do we move on? Mm -hmm. But I've realized that often individuals just want their pain to be acknowledged. Mm -hmm. Um, and so that's, God is doing that. He's saying, I acknowledge your pain, but you can't stay there. Mm -hmm. You can't stay in the pain because the pain, like you said, will cause resentment and it'll, it'll put you in a birdcage where you can no longer hear or see mm. who Christ is in your life. Mm. And, um, but it's not always easy as an individual when you're in moments of pain to hear get moving yeah no that is such a powerful point and so that's i think why i said we don't want to be dogmatic as to when that moment is i also would say that loving is listening mm. and so if we are to be a people uh, both individuals and corporately that actually love then we start by listening and we stay listening Moses doesn't tell the people to move on. Yeah. God tells the people to move on. Sure. And so I think we need to be very aware of what we're called to do and leave space for God to do what God needs to do. Absolutely. My job, your job, our viewer's job is to listen. Mm -hmm. Now we know, I know for my own pain and my own trauma and my own issues that I can't stay still. But the one that tells me when it's time to move is the spirit. And so both in caring for somebody that's experiencing the birdcage and being someone that's in the birdcage requires an acknowledgement that we can't stay in this experience of pain. But it's not our job to tell people when it's time to stop listening and start walking. That's up to God. And the get moving is also not what we get to do, right? We don't get to say, this is how you have to move. Right. This is how you have to solve this problem. You know, the get moving looks different for everybody. Mm -hmm. um, in this particular moment, um, God is telling Moses, get moving, like literally get moving. But like you said, Moses, the, the role that Moses plays for the people of Israel is he's pushing them to move, but in a different way. He's pushing them to exercise their faith. Mm -hmm. He's saying, listen, exercise some of this faith that you've seen God, you know, deliver you from. Don't, don't stay stuck in the why me. Don't stay stuck in the, yes, we are up against the waters and mountains around us. Don't stay there. Know who God is. Know that he's brought us out of Egypt. Know that he will deliver us, mm. right? And then, like you said, Moses takes these concerns and he tells God, oh, right, God, here we are. And God literally says, get moving. Mm -hmm. And so, like you said, all we can do is listen in love. The rest, how, when, what, that's not up to yeah. us to do. Yeah. And that's much harder for people like me who are problem solvers. That's how we we love, that's how we live life. We just want to problem solve. It it takes a lot of self-restraint to say, okay, I'm not being called right now to solve this problem. I'm being called to love mm. and to listen and hope that from that we can find a way forward. Yeah. And that takes a lot of humility because we wish, um, and we've talked a little bit about uh, over the past weeks about technical challenges versus adaptive challenges. Um, we sometimes think that grief is a technical challenge. Mm. So if, if, if we learn enough about grief, if we get a manual, if we look for a way through then um, we'll move past it. But God 
um, I think is telling Moses, look, grief, there's no manual. Grief is an adaptive challenge. And so it's going to take some adaptability. And that adaptability um, is going to look different for all of us. And so that's what I love. And here's your big word for the day. That's what I love about God, that God anthropomorphizes himself. God uses human language. That's what anthropomorphize means. Um, God uses human language in order to connect and to adapt to our own experiences. Mm -hmm. Because grief requires adaptability and the ability to allow ourselves to be malleable and adaptable is going to require some humility. Yeah. I mean, as parents adaptability is something we have to have as well right how we've raised micah we've come to find out is not how we are raising kai because they're different people and so a lot of what we've applied to micah doesn't apply to kai and and vice versa and we've had to adapt and you know i think this is what what's great about god that he gives us these tasks you know for us it's the the task of being parents but through it we're able to see him to say mm. well this is how god adapts to my needs you know we have our kids and we say micah don't do this because if you do this will happen but then micah will do it and we have to say we tried warning you it happened and then micah again maybe does it again and we say see we tried and it's almost trial and error until they can get to a point where they realize, oh, this is what my mom and dad were trying to teach me. This is why they didn't want me to go down this path over and over and over again. And often from what I see in this story, that's what's happening with God and the people of Israel. It's almost like he's trying to let them learn by trial and error, mm -hmm. right? gets them out of one trial, they're placed in another, and they go back to the same place, gets them into a trial, and they get back to the same place. Um, God is adapting to who the people of Israel are so that on their own, they can come to an understanding of who he is and what he's doing for mm. them. And you see that, right, at, um, in chapter 15 when they break out in song. Yeah, so I, we were almost out of time and I think one of the lessons then that we've learned here is there are some steps that we all can take. And that may, those steps are we don't panic, we stay still, we wait for the Lord. Uh, we also know that we move on at the behest of God. Mm -hmm. And how that moving on looks like is going to be different. But what I do know is going to be the same as our experience on the other side of the sea. Mm. Uh, Joey and I were talking about this idea of green pastures a few weeks ago, and I was really struck by the beautiful imagery he used to kind of make us understand that on the other side of the valley of the shadow of death, there's a table. On the other side of the sea, there's a song. On the other side of the grave, there's resurrection morning. On the other side of the birdcage, there's freedom. And so I think, Linda, that we all have the capacity at some point or another to hope for the day when we can say, I will sing to the Lord for he is highly exalted. Both horse and driver he has hurled into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. Amen. Amen. Well, we've got about a minute left before you pray us out. We do this of all my colleagues that come and talk a little bit about uh, what's going on in their ministry. It's usually good for the people at home to know a little bit about our staff and kind of what are some of the things that are going on in their ministries that we can look forward to. So for you, Rick, some of the things that we're excited that we can look forward to is our um, shower trailer. Mm. We will be dedicating it on August 6th. We're very excited. We've partnered with San Bernardino Spanish Church in San Bernardino, 
and we've started clinics where we're helping uh, the underserved population there. So we're excited that we'll be putting our shower trailer to work and that we'll be able to help the community in need there. Um, you know, it's it was a dream of our church and thankfully because of the support of our church and our donors, we were able to make it a reality. And so we are happy that we're gonna be able to uh, be doers of the word through this mm. shower trailer. And you might not live in San Bernardino or get to benefit of a of that or get to participate with that um, we are always humbled at how many people are watching us throughout not only our country but to the world last week we were in roseville mm. and we got people from the roseville church and the yes. pleasantville church or pleasant Grace hill point, church um i think it's pleasant hill Anyway, you guys were so generous and so kind. So shout out to the people in lovely Northern California, both at Grace Point and at, I want to say it's Pleasant Hill um, Church. We, we just are humbled. We want to be a resource to you. And so maybe you want to start uh, some ministry that attempts to embody Jesus. Uh, Linda, how can people get a, get a hold of you if they have some questions or if they'd like some advice or if they'd like to partner with you? Yes, we're always happy to share our resources and to help in any way that we can. So if you'd like to uh, reach out, you can always email me, limendez, M-E-N-D-E-Z, at lluc.org. And you can just share with me what your needs are or what your questions are. We're, I'm happy to answer or help in any way that we can. So you got it. Uh, the email for Linda, mine again, if you have questions, concerns, comments, or you have the answer to that question we asked you at the beginning is mmendez at louc.org. And my co-host, Joey, who we miss terribly, actually not that much because I, I was very well accompanied today. Uh, his email is j-o-o-h at louc.org. We hope to see you next week. Linda, can you pray us out? Yes. Dear Father, thank you for your unfailing love. Thank you for redeeming us. And thank you for showing your face, your love, and who you are amidst our darkness, Lord. We ask now that you be with us and that you help us see you in our moments of need, in our moments of trial, Lord. May we be able to focus on you to be able to get through them. Thank you for the many blessings that you provide us. Thank you for forgiving our sins. We ask that you be with us today and always. Amen. And remember, dear friends, on the other side of the birdcage is the freedom in Christ. Have a happy Sabbath.